topic here today is he's, he's getting, he actually jumps on back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 when he talks about the race enduring and laying aside every weight. And so he's going to specifically get into some of the weights and some of the things that we need to, to do in that particular race. And one of those things is, uh, of course, entertaining angels. And the question I threw out to you is, why does an angel need to be entertained if they can just zip on back to heaven? Because nobody's going to give them a better place to stay than heaven is. And they can get to heaven pretty quick because according to Daniel, the angel was sent from heaven with the answer and arrived the same day. So it may not be instant. Maybe something close to instant. Whatever it is, they can get there pretty quick. But here they're being entertained. So that's one of the questions we're going to look at. Why would they need to be entertained or hosted or lodged as we'll look at the look at the scriptures but in Hebrews chapter 13 beginning at verse 1 he says let brotherly love continue now this word here for um, brotherly love is a combination word and they take phileo and they combine it with a lot of different things and that makes up a particular word when they combine it in this way here is as in, in this one, brotherly love, which is, of course, we get the city of Philadelphia from that. When they combine it with that, it just means to uh, be kindly affectionate or have a love for the brethren. And so that's why it's translated the way that it is. Let brotherly love continue. Now, one of the things we'll see about this is it has been talking about priestly duties. And, of course, Jesus Christ was the supreme priest after the order of Melchizedek and talked about Aaron and the priests that were there, but we've also been called into an, a, a place of a priesthood and that there are certain duties is, that a priest would be. And really what he's looking at is the, the duties of a priest here. We're going to be looking at some of the aspects of the priesthood and things we've got to make sure that our conduct here in these first few verses measures up to that of a priest. So he says, let brotherly love continue. Now, if I follow this word of brotherly love, Philadelphia, in the places that it is. And again, it's not all the places that phileo is used. This is all the places where it is teamed up with the word for, for a brother. So, kindly affectionate or love toward a brother. In the first place that we see this is in, he, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Now, here we see the word phileo used twice. One time, phileo is teamed up and it's teamed up with the word for family. And that's where we see be kindly affectionate to one another. This is particularly talking about being kindly affectionate to those that are in the family or a little broader uh, use of this and certainly the New Testament uses this a lot. Not just people that are family but people that are you're close enough to that you consider to be family. So when he uses it here be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and brother in honor, giving preference to one another, not not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So he's using this word phileo here two times. The second time is the same way that we see it in our Hebrews passage, with brotherly love. But the first time we see be kindly affectionate to one another. Now I was doing all the Greek research I could on this, on the on the different words and and trying to get a a make on this as to, to what it is. So the, again, I'm not as expert as some people are on Greek. I do know Greek. I've, 
I've loved to study it all these years and still love to study it, but uh, I don't consider myself an expert, so you can take uh, this opinion with whatever you want to do. But be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. So my question was, why does he first off start off with be kindly affectionate and use the word for phileo for family love and then team it up with one for brotherly love? Why team that up into the same verse? And so the best I could come up with in meditating on this and seeing this is that the first time when he says here, be kindly affectionate to one another, we are talking about looking at one another, the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ, as the family. This is in a broad scope. But don't just keep it in a broad scope because it's, it's easy to say, I love all you. But he says, don't just love all you. Get out there and love them individually. And be kindly affectionate to them individually. So have this affection for them as a whole, seeing them as a family. But then also, on a, on a smaller scale, have this phileo for them. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So, be kindly affectionate. Have, the, have that affection for the entire family of God. Now this is the whole family, not just the people in the church building that we go to. This is the whole family of God. And we gotta, we gotta be careful about this because we do have to go over denominations just because they're not of your denomination, just because they don't see God and the scriptures the way that you do. They still can be part of the family. And <laughs> we, we have to make sure that we love them as part of the family and, and not just treat them as, uh, uh, outcasts of the, of the family. Well, we don't like them. They, they're of this denomination. They don't believe in this. Well, you know, are they getting to heaven? And if they're getting to heaven, they're part of the family. We're going to be seeing them on the other side. So they may not believe some of the aspects of the Bible, take on some of the, the, the things that we believe are true, but that doesn't mean that they aren't anymore or any less brethren, family members. So we've got to make sure that we, we do that. Let's go on to the next verse of Scripture. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 4 and verse 9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Now here we're going to see an interesting uh, aspect of this word that continues on for the rest of our uh, rest of the references we're going to look at. But concerning brotherly love, this is our word here, Philadelphia, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love, and that is not the word phileo. That is the word agape. From here on out, we're going to see in these references that the term phileo a derivative of Philadelphia, is used with agape. It is constantly used that the two, the first off phileo will come in, or in this case Philadelphia, will come in, and then agape will come in after that. So look at this again. But concerning brotherly love, that's having kindly affection for the people individually in the family. You have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to have an agape love for one another. So the agape love, you know, sometimes we, 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 we like to hide behind this. Well, I'll agape you, but I won't phileo you. <laughs> I'll love you in the sense that I have to with the godly kind of love, but I'm not going to like you very much. And we have to make sure we get rid of that. We cannot maintain not having a kindly affection for the people in the body of Christ and just saying I have an agape for them. You need to have both. 
And you can do it. <laughs> Paul says you can. Here in Thessalonians. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, that's Philadelphia, love one another, agape, with a fervent, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Now see, if I don't have a kindly affection for them and I just say I agape them, I think that would take away from the pure heart. Having been born again. See, that's how we can get there because we've been born again. Not a corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Through the, <clears throat> through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we've been born again. We are not of corruptible seed. We are of incorruptible seed. Therefore, we are capable of a greater love than the world is. Don't be measuring your standard by the world. Well, I'm doing better than the world. I like people better than they do. That's not the standard that we measure by. They're of corruptible seed. We are of an incorruptible. Through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Second Peter 1, verse 5. We're going to go all the way through 8. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now, of course, you can tell which word that is for love there. It's the word agape. To brotherly kindness love. Kind of interesting, you didn't go love and then add brotherly kindness. Sometimes we might think that's the way that it goes. But no, have an affection for for one another. Don't let the enemy come in and instill a lack of affection for each other. Because it certainly will. He's going to make you think someone thinks this way or make you hear things a certain way. And it would, would cause that brotherly affection to become affected. Don't be doing that. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why I get these principles in there. We've talked about that, I think, sometime last year in the Sunday morning services, this uh, particular passage. Very powerful for us. If we keep these things as ours, then if we cause them to abound, we will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I put in all four of these. I actually should have said three because the first one didn't have the have that in there. It's the, the last three that we looked over. Apologize for that. All right, let's go on over here to verse 2. Hebrews chapter 13. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. So he says to them, don't forget to entertain strangers. Now, a lot of times in the Word of God, when an angel makes their appearance, the, the people are in awe. And... Uh, they're not mistaken that this is an angel. Sometimes they appear very uh, imposing, tall, strong. But apparently sometimes they just appear as normal people. And they're able to do this in their angelic bodies. I don't know exactly how that is, is done. Sometimes uh, they appear one way. Other times they, they appear another. And don't know exactly... How they do that, we don't need to know how they do it. We just need to know that it's done. And sometimes people have uh, have an angel in front of them and they weren't sure. We saw that sometimes in the Old Testament. That uh, once the, the angelic being disappeared, they said, oh, that was an angel. 
They didn't know it up until then. They thought it was just a, another person. But then they found out it was an angel. So don't for, do not forget. And I looked up that word forget. I followed that out in the New Testament. You know what it means? It means forget. It's used one time when the disciples forgot to take bread. <laughs> so there's no, uh, no in, intrinsic meaning behind this at, at all. It's, um, it's just do not forget to entertain strangers. Don't let that get out of your head. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now here, take a look, we want to take a look at uh, two words that are used here. They're translated the same. Do not forget to entertain strangers. That word there to entertain means to be hospitable. It's not just, hey, come on over for dinner. <laughs> you know, hey, but uh, we got a, a guest bedroom. Why don't you stay there? It's not just that. It's, uh, it's how we treat the stranger. It's how we treat people we don't know. It's being hospitable. It's uh, not being rude. The second word is different. It is a very different Greek word. And this particular word to entertain means to host, to lodge, or to entertain. So what he's, what he's talking about here is don't forget to entertain, not be rude, not be, uh, to be hospitable to strangers, for by some, for by so doing some have unwittingly lodged, hosted, or entertained angels. Now there's a reason for two different words being used here from the Greek. Because if we start an encounter with a stranger, with rudeness, it would never get to a place of hosting or lodging, would it? If I am rude to somebody, they're not going to want to come over to my house and stay. They're not going to want to come over for dinner. I'm not, they're not going to come into my house if on the street I am rude. And so what he is saying here is that sometimes you're going to encounter strangers people that you don't know, people that you have not met before, first time you're meeting them. And how are you dealing with them? If you are dealing with them rudely, he's saying, you know, be careful how you do this. Be careful when strangers come up to you or you go out to a stranger. Be nice. Be hospitable. Treat them well. Because some, by starting out that way, have ended up hosting, bringing back an angel to their home and lodge there. Now, how many would like to have an angel come live with them for your, even just even just for a night? That'd be all right. We may may not know it, but I ask myself this question: Why would an angel need to be need to be lodged? I mean, it's not like they're hard up for. For anything. As far as I know, they, they probably don't have to sleep like we do. Uh, they, they don't, I guess they can eat, but I don't know that they have to. So, um, what's this lodging going on? And the only thing I can come up with is, is that our father is saying, hey, go on out there and see how this one does. And if they're nice, if they're hospitable, I want you to go on back and stay in their house. And then while you're there, just bless it. And they may have an assignment from God to do with your house, but in order to get that done, they have to get past the um, the hospitable part. Can you imagine an angel going back up to God? Now I know that God would know it instantly, and just you know, kind of try, trying to draw it out in some drama here for you. 
get it back up there. How did it go with uh, brother, sister, so-and-so? Oh, we never got to the lodging part. I was never able to do what you asked me to do in blessing their house or blessing their family or praying over or doing whatever it must, might be that God had asked them to do. Because as soon as I met them, they, had, they wanted nothing to do with me. They treated me rudely. So I came back. Be really, there is no purpose for that angel to be lodged there, right? Now we saw the one time that the, the angel showed up with Lot. And so, and Lot was being hospitable. And he says, oh no, no, no. He, he's being very nice to him, very kind to him. And then uh, they said, no, we're going to keep on going. We're going to head on over. To, no, no, no. You, you don't want to be traveling this time of night. Come on over, stay in my place. And uh, he was he was being very hospitable to him, and they had a purpose for coming. Now, what if he had been rude? If he hadn't been kind to them, I don't know what would have happened. Fortunately, we don't have to figure that out because he was. But I can't find any other reason why an angel would have to stay in your house, except that God sent him on a mission. And that mission was to come over to your place, but they needed an invite from you. They needed you to be, be treating them well. And the exhortation here is very clear. Don't forget to entertain strangers. Now we're not saying that all strangers are angels. He's not trying to even imply that all strangers are angels. He's just saying it happens. So God must set this up on occasion that someone poses as a as a strange stranger, you don't know him, just to see what you would do. Now, you've, I'm sure you've all seen that little little drama thing that the uh, the pastor did on Facebook. And uh, they had the, I'm not sure if he had the camera out when he was doing it or if they just uh, staged it afterwards. But uh, a church was getting a new pastor and the pastor decided to pose as a homeless person. Did you, anybody see that one? Pose as a homeless person outside the church. And um, nobody in the church knew who the new pastor was, but they all just kind of walked right on by the, the homeless person and no one really stopped. I don't think anybody stopped to offer him anything, invite him to come inside the church or talk to him in any way. And so that church was pretty surprised when that pastor came up after the worship service was over in all his homeless garb and then began to take parts of it off and tell them, I'm your new pastor. I'll tell you what that is. That is a drama that'll <laughs> that'll hit you good, won't it? Ooh, somebody was thinking when they did that one. That was uh, that was that was pretty pretty good. But that's the idea. We don't know what they're going to look like. We're not going to. We're not, not sure if they're going to look like someone in need. They wouldn't be in need, but they may pose as someone in need. And how are we going to deal with them? So we have to maintain. Because we're called into a priestly ministry. We're the priests before God. And when we go out as, as priests, we're supposed to be treating people a certain way. Strangers that you come up to. How about what do we do? Strangers that we're on the phone with. How are we doing with those? I mean, they're strangers. I don't know. But i got to be dealing with them in a hospitable way. Because it may be that God wants us to entertain them, do other things. So, we gotta make sure. He says here, do not forget 
to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, you remember the parable that Jesus told of the uh, Good Samaritan. And uh, priests and Levites were walking on by. They're in a priestly ministry. They're in a Levite ministry. They walked right on by. They didn't, uh, they didn't pay any attention. This is a stranger. But somebody else came by. And he was hospitable to them. He took care of them. It seemed like the Lord was pleased with that. So we have to make sure that we attain to what it says here. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly hosted angels. I changed that word there because I think it just conveys more. We're looking at a step up. If we don't do the lower area of entertainment, we're not going to get to the higher one. Lodging, coming over for dinner, um, whatever it might be. So make sure that we do that. Verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. Now remember, we're talking about priestly ministry here. Don't forget this. this. We're talking about priestly ministry. You are a priest unto God and in ministry. Make sure that you treat people in the body of Christ whether you think they're angels or not. Just these are people in the body of Christ. I know them. I've seen them before. Treat them with brotherly kindness. People that you don't know, that are strangers, be hospitable to them. Be be kind to them because you might end up lodging an angel. Can you imagine getting to heaven and God says, man, I sent somebody to you. I wanted them to stay at your house and you'd have no part of it. Hmm. See, our spirit should, should kick off on that. God, God should be saying, hey, help them out over there. So we don't want to be rude. But here he says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Now see, when other people are going through hardship, it's easy for us to forget. We'll remember while we're praying for them. We'll remember while we're talking to them. But then we go away and we're not tied in with that anymore. And we can forget it. He's specifically talking about prisoners. Now we're not talking about murderers. We're not talking about uh, bank thieves and uh, whatever else might be be out there in, in that area. We're not talking about people that are in prison for evil doing. The context of Hebrews is that people have been persecuted for their faith. And he says, don't you lose heart. Because you've seen some of these ones that have been persecuted. But those who have been persecuted, they're in prison. You know, don't forget about them. He writes to them here. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. That's part of your priestly ministry. There are people that are suffering because they were preaching the gospel. There are people that are suffering because of their faith in Jesus. Don't just, oh yeah, I'm sure it's hard for them. Yeah, you know, Lord, uh, help them on out. No, he says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Now see, this is particularly important because it could be that they might go. They haven't been put in prison yet, but they could. Remember uh, in the book of Acts, Peter was put in prison because of his preaching of the gospel. And so the church got together in the house and they were praying for him. Well, they, uh, they weren't in prison, but apparently they could be because other people were being selected out and, and put in chains. They could be. 
They were at least a little nervous about it because in the prayer time, when he came knocking at the door, they didn't just open it up. It's easy for us to forget what we're not going through every day. But he says, uh, don't, don't skip that. Don't forget. Now verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So marriage is honorable among all. Don't forbid to marry. That's also in the Word of God. Don't forbid it. For some, singleness is good. Because, but it's good because they chose it. So singleness can be good if you choose it. Other people shouldn't be choosing it for you. But he says, don't forbid to marry in one, one place in scripture. Here he says, marriage is honorable among all. There aren't certain groups that can't marry. Is what they're, what they're saying right here. He's talking to priests again. So as a priest before God, it's okay. It's honorable. For you to get married. So don't get the idea that in this new priesthood, well, we all gotta be, uh, we all gotta be celibate. We can't have husbands, can't have wives. That's not the case. Again, Paul's idea is you're better off if you're single. <laughs> but he says if you, if you do get married, you're, you're, it's not bad. And here, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. Well, the marriage bed is undefiled. We've talked about this in years past. You know, sex and marriage is not only supposed to be there, it belongs. It always seems like the enemy comes along and gets one person in the marriage to decide. I'm not gonna, I don't, I'm not interested in that anymore. And all he wants to get is one. He never tries to get both. All he wants to try and get is one. Because if you get one, now we can attack the other one. And get them to be pulled into adultery and things. Now it doesn't mean that just because one person has decided that they don't want to have uh, sex as often as the other person, that that gives them a right to go out into the area of adultery. That's wrong. The Word of God says you're the weaker brethren if you go out there and do that. You don't want to be, be doing those things. But you see, that's how, the, that's how the enemy comes in and breaks it up. Don't be, um, don't be doing that. And of course, some people, they get this idea once they've been married, that all of a sudden, that um, well, I'm too, I'm too holy for that sort of thing. And he says, no, the marriage bed is undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So the purpose of the enemy is to get sex in among the singles and out of the married. <laughs> that is the purpose of the enemy. And the purpose of God is for sex to be in marriage and not for the singles. That's why the devil's opposite. Because he knows it will harm the singles and his absence will harm the married. Don't get on the devil's team. I put in your outline, remember we are in the service of a priest. You're wondering why in the world does he put this particular subject in this spot? Because some people in the idea of priestly ministry are thinking that this shouldn't be there. They're too holy for it. Well, God's the one who created all this aspects of marriage. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled. There's that word undefiled used again. Speaking about our high priest, Jesus Christ. Undefiled, separated from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. So make sure in our areas of conduct as we go out and be a priest, don't, um, 
Don't become too holy for the things that God has said. These are okay. Because I'll tell you what, we can do it. And the enemy comes right in and he starts feeding this kind of stuff to us. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let your conduct be without covetousness. Don't be going around, oh, I want this. Now, it's not just in the area of stuff. It can be an area of ministries. We can be looking at this particular person over here and they have this aspect of ministry. Oh, I want to be, I want to be doing that part of ministry. And we can become covetous of these other areas of, of ministry. I can see somebody operating in certain gifts. And maybe they operate in the gift of the word of knowledge or uh, the gift of faith or something else beside what I do. And I say, oh, I want that gift. I want what they have. Well, the Word of God says desire the greater gifts, but it doesn't say desire what somebody else has. Desire it because it's in the Word, not because somebody else has it. We may look at somebody else's abilities. Oh, what I would do if I had those abilities. Well, those abilities were not given to you. So don't go around there and thinking what I would be like if I had that. You know, some people who uh, who can't sing want to sit around and fantasize what it would be like if I could sing. What I could do for God if I could sing. Well, see, you're becoming covetous for something that you don't have. I enjoy people who sing. I enjoy people who play music. I don't ever let myself become covetous of having those things myself. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Now, covetousness first begins with the thoughts. It doesn't begin with the actions. It begins with the thoughts. The thoughts come, don't you want what brother... Sister so-and-so has. Don't you want that car? Don't you want that job? Don't you want that prosperity? Don't you want that talent? That ability? What would you do if you had that talent and that ability? You'd probably do a whole lot more with it than they are. And we become covetous for these particular things. It begins in the thoughts. But here he's talking about conduct. It's going to start in the thoughts, but eventually it's going to work its way out into your Conduct and it's going to corrupt it. I will have corrupt conduct because of corrupt thoughts. So stop it in your thinking and you won't do it. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Now see, that's the reason for covetousness is because I, I'm not content with what I got. I want something different. I want something more. Well, I've got this, but I'm kind of already satisfied with that one. I want to... I want to go get something else. No, don't be doing that. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. The enemy is always out to try and make us discontent. Because whatever it is I've got, somebody else has something better. It's bigger. It's uh, nicer. Whatever it might be. Don't uh, be content with the things that you've got. You know, you can certainly think we just all went out to the, the car show. You know, it's easy to go out to the car show and become discontent with what you have. Well, car I have, 10 years old, 15 years old, whatever it might be, doesn't have all those things. They didn't have that available mm-hmm. when we were, we were out there. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I mostly drive a truck, I can't downgrade to a car anymore. It's I'm kind of stuck in a, in, a, in a truck. So even if I go out there and I see a really nice car, I have no desire for it. Because it has no functionality for me. 
It, uh, I, I can't, I can't take the, the, um, the conversion. Uh, for me, it'd be a step down. And uh, not the cars aren't, aren't good, but it just wouldn't be able to function what I need to do. But they keep making improvements on it. And so when we were at the car show, I, I only wanted to see one thing. And so I was over, by the time I got over there, I was over by, by myself. Everybody else was off doing something. Nobody else really cared about seeing this, but I was over there. I was going to see it. And I knew that uh, GMC came out with a new tailgate. I wanted to see that. I wanted to see that tailgate. I wanted to see what it could do. And uh, it can do. <laughs> I compared it to the, the new one that Ford came out. And I never liked the new one that Ford came out with. I love Fords. You all know I love Fords. Fords are my favorite. But I looked at the tailgate they had. And I said, oh, this just won't be right. And they had lots of problems with that. And I saw when they came out with it, well, it's not going to function for me because it made the tailgate, when you close it down, made it rounded. And I, that won't work for me because just when I take the drawers and a delivery and I have to take the drawers and I have to set them on the tailgate and then climb up in the truck and then get in. There's no other way to do it. These drawers are heavy. They are, they are really heavy. And, um, and that's the only way I can get them in there is to, uh, to do that tooth. And I think if I put that there, it's going to rock off. And by the time I step up onto it, it's, it could fall. And then all the work I put in and getting that thing ready is gone. I said, it won't work for me. Uh, plus, I didn't like the whole handle thing coming on up. and It just didn't seem like it had a whole lot of function. I think I'd, I just wouldn't even bother pulling it out. But I saw that GMC one. I said, man, that, that thing would work. I would use that. <laughs> I, could, I could see that working. <laughs> and... Uh, I've entertained thoughts of trading in my tailgate. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that'll work. <laughs> but I've I've thought I've entertained thoughts of going out and finding out if it will work because my tailgate's gotten a little old. It uh, doesn't always close. Sometimes the little uh, mechanism on the one side has been getting stuck. You have to actually move it with your finger, climbing it inside, get clue moving the finger just to get it to close. But it won't lock anymore. It doesn't uh, hasn't locked for a couple of years now. Just. Um, Kind of stays there, so I'm looking at that. Says, "Hmm, this would be." But see, I'm not going to go out there and buy a whole new truck just to get a new tailgate because <laughs> the, the truck's working good. I've told you before; I've had that truck since '09. One thing has been repaired. I mean, that's a pretty good track record. We're over a hundred thousand miles, and one thing has been repaired. It wasn't a small thing; it was a good sized thing. It cost me about a grand. <laughs> but I think in in ten years, one thing busting. That's not. That's not bad. And apparently it was, uh, it was going bad and they said, well, you're going to have to fix this eventually. I had a couple of months to get ready for it. <laughs> it wasn't one of those things that had to be, had to be gone. So I, and it hauls everything that I want it to haul. And it does a, does a good job. But you see, you can get discontent. And you become discontent and you begin to think, oh, it, it doesn't do this. And there, there is no snowstorm my truck cannot get through. There is none. I have been through two and three feet snowstorms in unplowed roads. I don't know if you remember those those times when we had those those big big one. What was it? Ninety six inches in the year. We had two two foot snowstorms that came in back to back, and they hadn't gotten to plowing our road out, and we had to get out. I could. Nope, no plow, just right on out there and and just go. And I knew I could handle it, and I just went on out, look forward to going. You see, the nice thing about going out when there's like two, three feet of snow on the ground is that the nuts stay home. <laughs> Nobody else goes out. The people who cannot drive in the snow, they stay home. But when there's only two inches of snow on the ground, they're all out there. <laughs> sliding around, doing all sorts of stuff. 
So, um, so you, I can, I can look at that and I can, I can become dissatisfied easily because it doesn't have this that the new stuff has and it doesn't have this, but, but it's working. And I mean, I'm not just working, it's working good. And I don't have to become discontent, but that's what the enemy wants to try and get you to do. He gets married people to become discontent with their spouse. He gets husbands and wives to become discontent with their kids. He can get people to become discontent with their church buddies, church family, to become discontent with your job, discontent with your income. We can become discontent with just about anything that we've got. And once we do, the door is open for us to become covetous for something else. I desire something so much. And if you desire something strong enough, you can go out there and get it. Doesn't mean that you ought to have it. And it doesn't mean it's going to cause you problems. Brother Keith Moore would always say, yeah, 96 easy payments. <laughs> it can be yours. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, and then you got uh, 96 easy payments for all those years. But you see, you can make stuff happen. Because first off, we come, we become discontent. And then we become covetous. And then we pursue things that we're not supposed to pursue. But you see, you're a priest of God. We shouldn't be pursuing things that we, we, we ought not to be pursuing. If God says, yeah, go out there and get that thing. You know, there may come a day down the road and God says, Steve, go out there and get yourself a new truck. That day's not here right now. And I don't look at my truck and become dissatisfied. It's not as uh, shiny as it once was. It's not as, it has a few scratches on it, but it's a truck. Supposed to do work. But that's how the enemy works. Don't let him work that way with you. He's subtle. Sometimes he'll only pass himself off as an angel of light. He'll pass himself off as, hey, God wants you to have more. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to be blessed. You should be believing God for this. You should be going after this. And I've become covetous. And going after things I'm not supposed to do. But he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. Now you can go in a number of places, the word of God, where that's told. Moses was told that. Joshua was told that. Other people were told that. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. You see, when we learn to be content with His presence, our view of what we need drastically changes. Amen. But if He can get you to be covetous, you won't be content with His presence. His presence won't be enough. I want more. I want something different. But when we become content with His presence, our kids seem to be better. Our spouse seems to be better. Church family seems to be better. Our job seems to be better because I am, I have learned to be content with his presence. Philippians 4 verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you've got. Whatever state I'm in, I'm going to learn to be content. And Paul, when he wrote that, I mean, he had some tough things he was in. How many of you are going to be content floating around the deep for a day and a half? 
I think I could find some discontentment in that. How many times have you seen a storm? Shipwreck. Most of us have never been in a storm in a shipwreck, and he was several times. I think after the, the first time, you get in the second or the third, you're thinking, I'm not, I am not going on the water anymore. God, I'll go anywhere for you as long as it's on dry land. <laughs> no more water for, no more water trips. <laughs> I, I don't know if he ever thought that, but uh, we could, we could certainly do that. He says, uh, he's been hungry without food, but he uh, didn't become discontented. Learn, train yourself to be content with His presence. You see, we'll have our, a change in our conduct. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Don't let the words of your mouth come across to other people as being covetous of something else. This is conduct. Conduct is what other people see. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many Christians have not believed that? Oh, I don't know where God is. I think God has forsaken me. See, you're already doubting the word. If you're going to doubt the word that he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're going to doubt that word, how are you going to believe anything else that he's going to say? tell you? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I think of little kids. And if they face something and they're by themselves, fear can get a hold of them. But when they face the same thing and they got a mama or a dad or someone that they trust and they love right next to them, they may scurry over to them. But the fear is abated because someone else, someone else is here. You know, my little granddaughter, she uh, is not as afraid of bugs as probably her mom would like her to be. And uh, I'm no help in that area because when we find one, we just pick it up. And as long as I'm there with her, she'll even ask, can, you, can I hold it? And so she'll put out her hand. See, as long as I'm there with her, she'll, she'll do that. If I'm not there, she'll, she'll probably run off. And But she's there. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, I can. you can hold it. I'm not going to give her a bug that's going to hurt her. But, you know, most bugs don't hurt you. She put her hand out. She'll hold it. It's pretty cool. She likes that. She goes outside now. She picks up ants. Other sorts of things like that. Have a little... Have to start working on Chenzo here pretty soon. <laughs> I remember doing that with Christian when he was younger. He was... Um, uh, he was real little. And um, so for some reason, he, he saw a worm and he kind of jumped back from it. My first thought was, no son of mine is going to be afraid of a worm. So I went out there and got a, got a worm, got his hand, and said, now hold this. It won't hurt you. And so he held it. And uh, sometime after that, he, we had the, the famous incident. I think my wife has mentioned it a few times. 
where um, he was inside the house and he went inside of his pockets. Inside of his pockets. And he looked at his mom and he says, where are my worms? She was not happy. <laughs> she was not happy about that statement. She let me know. <laughs> he got him a little too comfortable with the worms. <laughs> he'd go out there and he'd pick up all kinds of worms and he'd... Uh, yeah. <laughs> now he didn't do what I did. I, I had, um, we were at a fountain one time when they had fish in it, and so I thought these were pretty cool. So I stuffed my pockets full of these little minnows, and um, I didn't think anything of it. My mom didn't think as little of it as I did. <laughs> I don't know how how long they they made it in the pockets. I don't remember that part of it. She'd probably be able to tell you better than I. Could I just remember? I remember the fountain. I remember doing it. I'm not sure what I was thinking, <laughs> but I had two pockets full of fish. <laughs> but you see, <laughs> but but um, but sometimes we we change what we're afraid of by the people that are around us. And he says, "I won't leave you." See, if I understand that he'll never leave me, that he is my helper. He's right there. What have I to fear? What can man do to me? Is what he says. So we got to make sure that as priests that we view this, and this is what this chapter is about here. He's really just kind of concluding this thing. He said in Hebrews chapter 12, lay aside every weight, run the race. We're called into a priesthood ministry. This is how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. And now he's just going to be picking out some individual things here. And throwing them out for you. Making sure that we, we understand our role. Because I am a priest of God. We understand in the Old Testament, priests should not engage in certain things. And, and certainly in the, the Levitical law, they were not allowed to engage in certain things. And if they did come in contact with dead bodies or some things that other people could, could do, they had to disengage from the priesthood ministry for a while until they were clean again. Until they were ready for, for that type of ministry. We've got to understand, these things can defile us. Don't be defiled. Don't let yourself get defiled and go into ministry. It was a bad thing for the people in the Old Testament, priests in the Old Testament, if they were defiled to engage in ministry. They were not supposed to do it. They were given stern warning. If you engage in this, if you become defiled, you separate yourself from the ministry. Go through this process. Get yourself pure. And then come back into it. What he's telling you here is, as a priest, there are some things that will defile us. Don't do it. Don't be doing it. Covetousness is one of those things. Areas of marriage is another one. Treating prisoners, how we, how we think about them, taking part in the sufferings that they go through. How we deal with strangers is important as a, as a priest because certain people you're going to be called to minister to. And brotherly love. Make sure you have that kind affection for the people that are around you, for the people that are in the body of Christ. So how is the conduct portion of your priestly ministry? Are you conducting yourself as a priest? Are you conducting yourself as a priest of God? One that he says, this is what I need you to do. This is how I need you to operate. Or are we just coming up with our own ideas? Christians, a lot of times we like to say, well, I don't think, or I don't believe, 
doesn't matter what you believe and no matter what you think. What matters is what God's Word said. And this is what we need to do. And so he's just laying it right out here. In the New Testament, here's a New Testament priest. As, as such, this is what we should do. Well, Father, we thank you for the exhortation you give us in the area of priesthood ministry. I thank you that you have called us to be priests and that we serve in the priestly ministry for you. We want our conduct to be that of a priest and to be looking at all the things that we do in light of that. I thank you that we can change our conduct. We can change the brotherly kindness that we walk in towards the people that are in the body, in the family. We can observe more carefully how we treat strangers and just have that extra motivation. Some people have actually lodged angels in their home. Boy, would that be an honor. Things going on in our marriage, we've got to make sure that they stay in the priestly area of ministry. And I thank you, Father, that even our conduct, our contentment in the things that we have, we will order with the idea that we are priests before God in His ministry. And our focus is on doing that ministry for Him. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.